Turn with me, if you would, to um, 1 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 6. We're still in chapter 6, but uh, we'll be moving uh, away from this uh, next week. Excited about, boy, next week I cannot wait. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about marriage and God's Word about you know, some of the things, and relationships, so there's a lot of stuff coming up. So I've titled the message, The Sexual Mess in the Corinthian Church. And uh, I'm just so excited to bring this uh, message to you uh, because it is going to be, I believe, a bit challenging when we consider uh, what's going on in the world we live in today. You know, so as I was going through this, I'm going, man, this is exciting. Last week we're talking about, you know, not suing people and legal issues. Now this week we're going to talk about sex. I can't wait for what they're, I mean, I already know what's ahead, but it's almost like every time you turn the page, there's something more relevant and exciting and challenging for us in God's work. You see some of that? Amen. And I got to tell you, unlike anything else, looking at this, um, I wish I had, you know, like three or four hours with you so we could really, you know, spend some time. Uh, unfortunately, we just have really a few minutes, but it, it really um, gives us an opportunity to focus in on a, a lot of very important issues and challenges in, in the world today we live in. Uh, sexuality is something that has become a hot topic and a confusing topic, a challenging topic. Sexuality is something, and I'm well aware of the, it can be a, a topic that brings about bad thoughts, bad memories, uh, woundedness because of past experience. And then for some it also can bring a, you know, a reminder of great joy and uh, thankfulness of you know, what God has brought us. And so Hopefully as we go through this, we'll understand a little bit more what God's Word has said. Because the Corinthian mess is our mess. You know, the, the, it's so relevant. It's unbelievable, the relevancy of this. And you're, when we're studying this and going, well, man, it's like, you know, you've ever had this felt like, man, God's reading my mail and that kind of thing. Well, it's kind of how this feels. You know, we live in this, this crazy time. And we think about it, our morality is really being challenged significantly. You know, I was looking at some, and there's so much information out there right now. And one of the one of the sites I like going to, and you can go there yourself, is uh, a Barna Institute. Barna is, I think it's Barna.com or Barna.org, one or the other. And uh, lots of amazing statistics. Christian organization. They've been around for a long time. And I, I brought this. I brought this up because reason why I like this one. There are so many to choose from. This is current. This is 2018. And they were all asked, so, you know, what per, this is the percentage of do, do, do you strongly agree? And so if you can't see it, it says lying is morally wrong. Abortion is wrong. Marriage should be a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. Sex before marriage is morally wrong. Homosexual be, uh, behavior is morally wrong. What was interesting is that most all of this is under 50%. So what that means is, when we're, and we're looking at what I like about this from Gen Z all the way across to what we call elders, uh, boomers, Gen X, millennials, and you look at this and you begin to realize, and here's what I found absolutely disheartening, <laughs> is that when you look at the same stats 20 years ago, everything is going away. It's going downhill where we're less certain about what is morally correct in terms of God's Word. So all of these things would have been above 50% 20 years ago. In other words, we, we would have, most of us, over, well over half of us would have said, you know, lying's wrong. And, and I would hope that 
again, that, that should be like a no-brainer. Lying is morally wrong. But right now you look at this and, I mean, it's, you know, right now the Gen Z, which would be our, you know, kind of teenagers and really young adults, only 34% of them, which means a whole bunch of them do not strongly agree somehow lying might somehow be okay occasionally, right? And then the idea of abortion and, and all that that means, again, you look at that, everyone is under 50%. And so somehow we have now decided that taking the life of a child, you know, is, I guess, okay. And so we're, we don't agree that that's morally wrong. And then marriage, a lifetime commitment, it used to be that was, a, that was like a very simple kind of yes, of course, that's what we would intend. But now, other than the elders, everyone is under 50%. Uh, you look at um, sex before marriage. And of course, that was 20 years ago. It was like, well, you waited till you got married. That was sort of like the way it was supposed to be uh, for most of us. No one is higher than 26%. So that means almost 75% of everyone else is uncertain about whether or not sex before marriage is morally wrong. Uh, and then it goes homosexual behavior. Once again, there's nothing here above, I think it's about, uh, this last one, the percentage didn't come out, I think that's about 34%. So everything's under 40%. And so, once again, this is a great challenge. You look at this, this is kind of the world that, that we are living in right now, and the world that we see. And, you know, I look at this and I think, man, what's going on? You know, there's a lot of bad things people could do. You know, when you look at the list of all the bad things that someone could do, I mean, you know, what's, what would be at the top of the list, right? Well, one of the things that's at the bottom of the list, and this impressed me, was sexuality. So the sexual sins that you think about, like if there's 10 things, that's number 10, if it makes the top 10. So right now, the whole idea of our sexuality, and I thought was, you know, what's, the, what's one of the top things? Not recycling. So, for example, not recycling is considered more of a sin than sexual sin. So if you're asking a lot of people today and they would say, so what is the bigger sin, not recycling or, you know, uh, not being involved with sexual sin? Well, not recycling is far more sinful and disastrous because, I mean, you think about it, the focus is, well, this affects the world. See, and here's the conversation we're having is that not recycling is going to injure the environment, right? Not recycling is, I mean, I agree, recycling is a good thing, right? Can you say amen to that? But now somehow sexual sin isn't really affecting the world. It's only affecting the individual. And so therefore, we kind of, you know, have this uh, idea that what I'm doing is private, doesn't matter, and it's only about what's happening to me. And I got to tell you, for me, that is really um, terribly wrong because it's inaccurate, uh, that is just not true because sexual sin affects our society, and I'm going to talk about this in a few moments in, in a really big way. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting, uh, right below uh, not recycling, is thinking negatively about someone with a different point of view is much worse than, so if you have a different point of view and you think negatively about them because they have a different point of view, that is a greater sin than sexual sin, right? So you begin to kind of go, wow, look at, I mean, there's a lot of information here. I think there's a new moral cult that I, I'm going to call morality of self-fulfillment. And I think there's something that's taking place where, once again, we're trying to decide, you know, so what, you know, what are the, the greater evils and what's going on and what's happening? 
I mean, you think about all the things that happen because of sexual sin. I mean, hashtag me too, right? That's the result of sexual sin. Uh, uh, sexual abuse, uh, sex trafficking, uh, divorce. I mean, divorce is climbing huge. This is one of the reasons. There are huge intimacy problems, relationship problems. Injury to our children is a direct effect of sexual sin, uh, directly to them or because they, because they are associated with it within the family unit. Um, there are huge costs to this, mental health costs, uh, physical health costs, uh, if you will, social community costs, because all this, when you think about the financial impact, it's huge. The legal impact is absolutely huge. Health issues are huge. You think about the direct result of all the types of diseases and things that can, can happen because of sexual sin, you begin to realize, man, we're talking about a lot of money, and on and on it goes. It's interesting today... Only 11%, so I'm going to just round it up, 90% of teenagers and 5% of young adults, which is under uh, uh, 21, say that, for example, viewing pornography is wrong. So I want you to get a hold of that. Pornography is now okay with 90% of our young, of our young people. Now, it's also growing in being okay with all the other groups as well. Right? I think the only group that's still challenged with that is the elder group. Well, that's a group above me. Praise God, there's still a group above me. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, you got the baby boomers. Hi, I'm a baby boomer. And, uh, you know, we're, we're giving way to this idea that, well, maybe pornography isn't all that bad. Right? And, and all the things that go with that. And, you know, I got, interesting. Have you heard of the new pornography? Uh, they're calling it uh, pornography or, or porn 2.0, the new pornography. I have, I've had a lot of conversations about it. I finally have, this is the first time, and this is only a year old, some of this information, or less than a year old, where there's finally now talking about it. It's, it's insidious, and I think it's hidden in our society. And if you are a parent of a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a teacher, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if, if you're um, working with people, you know what I'm talking about. The, the new pornography of today is when we are basically using ourselves as the new pornographic image, and now we are sext sexting, we are Snapchatting, we are posting images of ourselves to the world around us. And matter of fact, celebrities, all kinds of people are now doing this. We no longer really even have to go to a professional site. Now you just can just receive this kind of information from the world around you. And I have talked to a lot of parents. When I say a lot, probably in the last year, I'd say just myself personally, about 25, 26 different uh, parents who have come and said, what are we going to do? I just opened up my daughter's uh, phone and there was a picture of her half-naked sent to her boyfriend and her boyfriend sending a picture of him uh, not wearing anything and what am I going to do? And that's, that's the new uh, kind of challenge. I mean, remember, it used to be we go on the Internet and we look at you know, the pictures and the videos and things. Now we're just sending each other and we are now becoming the new pornography. We are now, if you will, uh, it's a pornification of our own self. Now, that ought to say something and raise up some important questions that our children are doing that. And some of us are doing that. 
I have no illusion that this is happening. And we're doing that. I've had married couples do that. And somehow it's okay to do that as a married. Even that becomes a very interesting and challenging concept that it's okay to send these things over the technology that exists. And I got to tell you, risking that, that alone is a really bad idea. Because you know, once it's out there, it's out there. But regardless of that, you begin to realize, what does that say about our view of us? See, that's what Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, because all of a sudden, it's like the whole view of everything, of what they see and what's going on. You realize right now, statistically, this is uh, secular stats right now, came out of the CDC, uh, 62% of teenagers and young adults, that whole age group we're talking about, Gen Z and the one above, have received a new image uh, at one time or another. 62%. And 40% of those who said, I've received an image, I've sent it back. I've sent one back to them of myself. So it's kind of like this exchange is going on. So what's happening? I mean, we're all concerned about a lot of things. We're objectifying human beings now, and we're now placing them into the position where we are now somehow creating this, I believe, a nuclear bomb exploding in our society with unbelievable radioactive fallout. And it's poisoning our entire society. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm all on it to, to recycle. But man, we have got to step up the pace and recognize that this is going to greatly injure our youth. It already is our children, putting them in immediate danger. It is hurting our, our, the world around us in a way that is far more significant than re- whether you recycle or not. I mean, both are important. But when you think about all the things that are out there, all the things that are available, I, I'm just convinced, man, we're hungry. We're hungry for love and acceptance and affirmation and nurturing and touch. You know, it's interesting. Everything I'm reading is with all this crazy technology, we're more lonely than we ever have been. I mean, you would think, I mean, I've got, you know, I was looking at my Facebook and you know, I've got well over a thousand friends. I'm probably approaching 2,000. Why should I ever be lonely? I mean, I've got people sending me all kinds of stuff all the time. I mean, like, wow, I feel like I'm popular. I send something out, and I, I might get 20, 25 likes. Man, my day's made. I'm crushed if no one likes my stuff. Man, my day is not made. You know, what do you do? I got two likes. I just poured my heart out. I sent a devotion out. I didn't get even one like. <laughs> Man, I'm depressed. But a, a lot of us really are feeling depressed. A lot of us really are feeling anxious. A lot of us are really struggling with these things. And we don't realize, you know, what the, one of the biggest ramifications I see in the church today is sexual sin is putting out the fire of the Holy Spirit in you. You want to smother the Holy Spirit? Then get involved with sin and don't deal with it. You know, there, I mean, there's lots of sin, right? There's all kinds of sin. But when you decide it's not sin and it is sin you're going to put out the fire of the spirit of god in you and i've often wondered what's wrong with us in the church why why are we not ignited i think that's one of the big reasons is that and i have no illusions look at i i don't know i'm not talking about anyone in this room but i'm talking about all of you because i know just by experience that half of us or more are involved in the very thing i'm talking about or you have been or you're struggling with it, or there's something you're connected to somehow with this. 
you know somebody who's involved with this. So this is touching every single one of us in some way, in some form or fashion. And so if you look at verse 12 of chapter 6, we see the beginnings of, okay, let's, let's, let's address this, let's fix this, let's, let's talk about the, what we can do about this unbelievable problem that's going on in the world we live in today. So here the word begins saying, well, all things are lawful for me, but, but all things are not helpful. It says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods, but God will destroy both of it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Now you read this and it goes, what in the world is he talking about? I mean, we're talking about food and stomach. I mean, our favorite subject. Can you say amen to that? I mean, they must have had a food network going on back then, right? And so they're all going, wow, look at the food network. Here it is because this, I mean, this ought to be the slogan, foods for the stomach, stomach for the foods. I mean, that actually was a slogan of the time. We could probably post that right now on, on the food network. We'd all excited about it. He's basically drawing a comparison to the dietary laws and the issues that are going on with that of sexuality. So he's drawing this amazing comparison and parallel, trying to get the Corinthian church to understand this by talking about food so they would connect it to immorality and understanding what's going on here. And he's basically saying, yeah, food is pleasurable and necessary. But you know what? You can't argue that you can just do whatever you want just because it's pleasurable and necessary. And so he's saying that in the midst of all this, here, let me just simplify it. You need to have some discipline. That just because you're hungry, you shouldn't always eat. Right? Because what's going to happen? You, you might gain a little bit too much weight. Or you might become unhealthy. And he's basically saying, listen, don't you know? And he's also trying to say the body, in this case, he's actually doing a little play on with the Greek words. He's saying the body and the stomach. See, there was this thing going on where the stomach's all about the body. And Paul was saying, you're nuts. Because the body is far more than just a stomach. I mean, a lot of times, don't you feel like sometimes your stomach rules your life? <laughs> Come on, can you say amen to that? Right? I mean, you, you know what it's like. It's like you're hungry, and that's all you can think about. And, you know, you, you, the food becomes so big in so many of us. It's like it rules us. And that was the same kind of thing he's addressing. He says, but listen, your body is not just about a stomach. It's about the spirit. It's about the heart. It's about the mind. It's about the soul. And Paul's trying to say, you need to understand that when, whatever you take into your body doesn't just affect your body, it affects your mind, your heart, and your soul. Now, he's trying to then set, set us up for the same parallel, that what, what we do and how we act affects the entirety of the human being. I mean, you're more than just body. Can you say amen to that? But I think we act like it's all just about the body. It's a multi-trillion dollar business, how we look and how much we, we weigh and how fit we are. You take all of that in consideration, it is a gigantic industry. And no fooling, it's all about the body. And back then it was no different. It was, it was all about the body. And Paul's saying, listen, don't you realize this is perishable stuff? Someday all this is going to go away. I mean, do you realize you're perishable? But the Spirit of God in you is non-perishable. 
<laughs> it will never perish. Can you say amen to that? And so he's, he's really kind of saying that in a different way. And he's addressing that, listen, in the same way that you've got to be aware of what you eat will affect you. Even more so, your sexual interaction will affect you even more. So he's saying, you understand the fact that what you eat will affect you. Now you can understand your actions and your behavior sexually will also affect you, not just in the same way, but even in a deeper way. Right. And everyone at this time of the church is like, they're going, the Word of God, what about the Word of God? It's like all of a sudden it doesn't matter. Like, so what part do we believe in? I mean, are, what, what's, what's happening right now is, you know, we're now challenging every part. You know, doing what it feels like, it's like this passage right now feels like, you know what? I'm not sure I believe in this passage anymore. I don't think it's relevant for today. So you know what? I'm just going to cut this out of God's Word. Let me just get my Bible here, and I'm going to cut out this passage. And there it goes. And we're going to... I'll just rip this one out now. There we go. Okay, there's the passage we're just reading. Okay. It's not in the Bible now, praise God. So now we can ignore it. And what, but there's other passages, right? And, oh, wait a second, there's, oh, I, I marked this one. How about Deuteronomy? All about marriage violations. Oh, man. Oh, yuck. That can't be God. So now it's out of the Bible. Right? I mean, we're doing that right now. You're not maybe doing this this way, but it's, we are doing it. Oh, I love this one. This one. Oh, here's a great one right here. Oh, this is again about man's sexual sin and purity. Oh, no, yeah, that's not today. Forget that. Right? I mean, that doesn't count. And, oh, this is my favorite right here. The marriage bed should be kept pure. I'm talking about adultery? Sexual morality? Oh, yeah, not today. And here, here we are just ripping out the pages of the Bible and saying, it doesn't matter. So what pages do you rip out? What part have you decided doesn't count? Well, I know it doesn't count. Here, I didn't even mark this one. I, this is a big one, right? Romans. Romans chapter 1 has everything to do about our sexual identity and who we are as, uh, as people and, and our, our sexual behavior, especially when it comes to the issue of homosexuality and all that. There it is right here. I'm looking at it. I don't like it. Doesn't count. Not my Bible. It's not relevant. Because we're living in a world today where consensus rules our morality rather than a standard ruling our morality. So here's what we do. Let's vote. Is, sexual, is this sexual sin really a bad thing? We'll vote. And if we all kind of agree and behave a certain way, then guess what? We can go ahead and do it. And that's exactly what we're doing today. And that's what was happening back then. The Apostle Paul is writing on the God's Holy Spirit saying, look at, are you nuts? And I think we live in a world today where someone was saying, well, we upgrade everything. Why shouldn't we upgrade our Bible? Like somehow there's another Bible that we can upgrade. I mean, every, I mean, every month I get a notice to upgrade my software and, my, and my, my, all the important things in my life. Well, I guess we should upgrade morality. Because if everyone's doing it, someone told me this. Well, everyone's doing it. And the fact is, if God really didn't want us to do it, we'd be able to control ourselves. And so because, you know, because we can't control ourselves, and no one, and I, this person was really arguing with me, no one can control themselves like even you, pastor. I'm going, that's not true. I can't control myself. 
And I know lots of people who can't control themselves. But you may want to believe that. But even if that was true, does that mean if you can't control yourself, then that means whatever that is, you're okay to do it? Now, is that crazy or what? Well, we're just talking about sexual stuff. Because, you know, everything else, you have to control yourself, right? I mean, you can't steal from me. Well, I can't control myself. I mean, I couldn't help myself. Your car was so much nicer than mine, then you shouldn't have a nice car like that. So I thought I would just take it for a while. Now, of course, well, none of us would disagree with that. But it's okay to go ahead and steal away someone's sexual, mora- sexual purity. It's okay to go ahead and assault someone as that somehow that's okay now. Listen, that's not okay. But yet, this is kind of the thing that's crazy. And the, well, look what it says in verse 15. It really nails it down. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Now, that's a rhetorical question. The answer should be what? Yes, of course. Yeah, I get it. Absolutely. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Right, again, a rhetorical question. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh, but he, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. This is huge. Now, we're going right back to Genesis chapter 2. Jesus, you know, the Word of God in the very beginning said, two shall become one. The whole program of marriage and human relationships is laid out. The first three chapters of Genesis ought to be read by you at least once every six months because that's foundational to so much of everything we understand. And he's just really bringing back and he's saying, listen, do you understand that when you do what you do, so when you have sexual intercourse with a harlot, with a prostitute, with another female, you are literally taking Christ into that relationship. Now that's just gross. But it is the reality of what's happening because what's inside of you? Right. And where you go and what you do, in case you're wondering, you take the Holy Spirit with you. You can't say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to check out here, so you stay here on the chair, and I'll go do what I want now. It's kind of like, you know, the Holy Spirit, unplug, put it down, now I can do what I want, I'm not taking God with me. You can't do that. <laughs> Does not work. And so, it just, it dawned on me, I was reading this, I'm going, man, this is, you know, our union really matters to God. You know what I see about this? God really loves us, and He's trying to protect us. He's trying to help us understand that what you do is really a bad thing, and you have no idea, so I'm going to set this up for you to protect you so that you don't hurt yourself unnecessarily. But you've got to understand, at the time, and I had someone was suggesting, well, this is only related to the religious practice of the time, because one of the practices of the time was to go have sex a temple in order to have, you know, your fields do really well or to be blessed or whatever. I mean, must have been a guy who made that up. But, uh, you know, the whole idea that you've got to go have sex. But, of course, they had male and female prostitutes, so I want you to know it went both ways. And the whole idea here, and, and there was a homosexual practice, a heterosexual practice, the whole thing was going on. But you know what? This is addressing the whole concept of what you have sex with, you join the Lord to. So, I mean, I know this is going to sound crazy, but when you watch that pornographic movie, Jesus is watching with you. 
because he's in you. When you engage in the kind of activity of sexual sin and you're a believer, then you take Jesus with you. And he is involved in what is going on. That's why he says, the two shall become one flesh. We are one with Christ. Amen. That parallels, I am one with my wife. And I'm not to be one with anyone else other than Christ and my wife. Now, that was getting really confused. <laughs> and that's the whole point. He said, that's why we have marriage. That's why we do the things we do. And man, and he's saying, you need to take into consideration the amazing cause. It goes on. Look at verse 18. He goes, okay, man, flee. Run from sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Huge stuff. We're going to talk about that in a second. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Okay, there it is. Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. <sighs> Powerful statement. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? Okay, so there's the, they're flying in the face right now of morality of the day because my morality is mine. It's my self-fulfilling morality. It's what I want to do, what I think is important. It doesn't matter what you think is important. The Word of God is saying, but you're not your own. Right. You're God's. And you never stop being God's. Amen. Listen, you don't, you don't ever take a vacation from God. You don't take, you, you can't take a break. You cannot unplug from God and think it doesn't matter. It does not work that way. Now, is he saying that sexual sins are harder to forgive? Are sexual sins harder for God to forgive? No. Here's what he's saying. Sexual sins are more damaging to human beings than other sins. So he's not saying, you know, there's some kind of, I think a lot of times, well, there's some kind of like a priority of sin or something, you know, one's better than worse or, you know, uh, more. What he's saying is this sin, this sin is not just outside, this sin is inside. And it damages the human personality more than any other sin. If, I mean, I, listen, I've dealt with sin in human beings for a really long time, including my own. And you know what? I've learned something over these years working with people. Sexual sin is far more damaging than a lot of us. I, I've watched, I've seen people get over stealing stuff. I've seen people get over being in prison. I've seen people getting over all kinds of even violent crimes. But I've seen people struggle for a lifetime, unable to get over the sexual sin that was committed against them or by them. Right. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, yeah, I know I'm forgiven, but I can't forgive myself. What I did was so heinous that I cannot let this go. And they're talking about the abuse perpetrated on somebody else. This is one of those things that, man, when you get victory over this, it is absolutely powerful and only by God. Because this is, and I'm going to tell you something. Listen, there is, there is a way through this. There is a way to experience victory. But you've got to experience this through Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes you've got to work at this. You know, you've got to realize the core mission of sin, just like we get from John 10, 10, it says the thief does not come except to steal, kill, or destroy. 
And so the mission of sin is to kill, steal, or destroy anything good of God in you. I mean, it's never going to stop. That mission is never going to get old. We are not going to get a new slogan statement from the devil. I mean, he, he's got it nailed down. This is what he's going to do. Because you think about it, sin, sexual sin, attacks the very basic root of our identity and who we are. I realize, man, we are struggling even with, with gender identity now. I mean, what a great way to attack the human personality, but now to you know, sort of generate this concept that we don't even know who we are based upon how God created us. I mean, I think it's still true. I, I see this every time. I've, I've been around with a lot of births, and I've seen a lot of babies. And guess what? When that baby comes up, what's the first thing mom or dad asks? If they don't know yet, right? I mean, now you, like, you, know, you can know really early, like, you know, uh, we're, we're, one of our kids is expecting another. So we're going to be grandparents again, praise God, hallelujah. And so what's the gender? Well, we're not telling you. We're going to have a gender revealing party. Whoever thought of that was cruel. <laughs> like, that's fun. <laughs> I've got to wait for the right moment and make sure I pick out the right color balloon or right whatever they're going to do. I, I, I get it. I understand it. But, man, I want to know. I want to start getting ready, right? I, I told my son, well, you know, you're just missing out on all the cool stuff that I'm going to get because if you don't give me enough time, then you're not going to get a lot of cool stuff because I have no idea what to buy here. Listen to the word. It says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If you destroy the very foundation of who you are and who you've been identified by God, you are injuring something very deep inside of us. Listen, sexual sins injures our emotional well-being and our ability to be intimate with others. There is absolutely no question. I can tell you from experience. I can tell you professionally. I can tell you about it in academics. I can tell you about it psychologically sociologically, theologically, biblically, sexual sins injures our emotional well-being and our ability to be intimate unlike any other sin. And I'll be glad to go toe-to-toe with any one of you who want to disagree with me because it's just the truth. I mean, we are so into trying to find excuses and justifications and rationalizations and we feel so entitled, I deserve this, I'm an adult, I can do what I want to do, get on my face, who do you think you are? I don't have to get married, I don't have to, you know, stay in these boundaries, they're old-fashioned, on and it goes, you know, I want to test the waters, make sure I'm compatible. I can think of all, right now, cohabitation, 70% of uh, people who are thinking about getting married, 70% will cohabitate for all kinds of interesting reasons. I mean, I've just mentioned a few of them. You know what's interesting? Of those who do finally get married, 60% of them will break up after the marriage, which is 20% higher than those who just wait and get married. So, I mean, there's this proof right there. That's, that's huge. That's significantly, statistically significant that shows that, you know, when you do it this way, it doesn't really work out all that well. Now, of course, there's always someone who says, well, you know, we're, we're doing fine. We live together and we're now going on 50 years. There's always some exception somewhere. But that's just not truth. That's not, and we're not even now talking about not only the breakup, but we're not even talking about the injury that happens emotionally. There's some crazy idea, and here's what sex does. Sex generates the illusion of intimacy. Right. 
And, and, and you know what? That's exactly what, you know, I think the enemy wants us to think, that somehow you have been sexual and therefore you've been intimate. And that just, you know, really isn't totally true in the way that you think it is. You know, God created this brain of ours in an amazing way. There's this amazing cocktail of chemicals, seven in particular. I won't go into details, but we, if you want to know later, I'll be glad to tell you. But it generates this amazing bonding experience that takes place as a result of orgasm or, or physical touch um, and all kinds of sexual behavior. And so you physiologically bond with another human being. And that, and that lasts. I mean, the power of that, literally, when that happens, that's like 24 to 30 hours of happening stuff happening in your body. So it's not just an immediate thing, it goes on. And that's, again, that's one of the healthy things we do in marriages. That's why our sexuality is important in a marital relationship. Now, just because that happens doesn't mean you're going to have a deep emotional, intimate relationship with another human being. That's why God said, you know, you need to wait till you get married and let your sexuality be the outflow or the secondary experience from the primary experience, which is becoming intimate with another human being spiritually, emotionally intellectually, relationally. And then if you do it that way, and then out of that flows a sexual relationship as, as an amazing gift that God created. Man, you're blessed. But what we're doing right now is reversing it. So we're having sex first, and then we think, no big deal. We will now become all these other things, in, no, no problem. Let me tell you, as someone who does this all the time, it is a big problem. One of the things I hear repeatedly when couples are talking with me, and we're, you know what? We are struggling in our intimacy. We are having a hard time connecting. We are not feeling bonded with each other. And now I'll hear the story a lot of times about the sexual abuse that occurred. I'm dealing with people who have been abused sexually when they were kids. And when that happens, it injures your ability to be healthy in an intimate way with another human being. Because you know what? It, it really scars you deeply. Make no mistake, abusing a child is heinous. It is one of the, I mean, you have no idea the, what, I mean, you should understand, I, I lived this and have lived this for a long time in terms of dealing with so many other human beings that have been injured in this way, and it's a, it's for some it's like a lifetime sentence. You know, I was talking to a couple. I said, so how you doing? And, well, they have what we would define as a non-sexual relationship. They've been married for 26, 27 years. And I said, well, how often do you engage in sex? Uh, maybe three times a year. And I found out why. This, unfortunately, this female was significantly abused for years as a child. And now to this day, the idea of having any intimate physical relationship and with the man she loves, and this guy's a good guy. I mean, she's got like the perfect husband. I wish I was that good. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with him. Listen, and that happens a lot. One in three women have been sexually abused. I mean, some of you right now I'm talking to, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I've walked this journey with, with individuals, and I know intimately from the stories and what it does. And I, I've got good news. There's healing, but it's a huge process. Right. But I want you to understand, sexual sin affects the core of a human being. 
it affects who we are. It injures your ability to have a emotion. I mean, I think a lot of people struggle with God for this reason. I was talking to a male. You know, I, I can't tell how many times I've heard this. Pastor, I've never said this to anyone before. And here's a guy, he's on his fourth marriage, and he said, what's wrong with me? I can't break through this barrier where I can be open and connected and bonded with the, I mean, I love, I love, I want, I want this to work. And so we got into a story, and when he was 11 years old, he spent two years being sexually abused by the boy down the street. Now, this is not uncommon. I'm not just giving you a story out of, you know, well, let's pick the most extreme story. I'm talking about, you know, right now, statistically, 20 to 30% of males have experienced sexual abuse. And not an uncommon kind of thing. Or they've gotten involved in sexual um, unhealthy activities. I hear that a lot. And, you know, spending years in pornography and videos and in uh, all kinds of unhealthy behaviors. And now they find someone and they want to have this intimate relationship. You have to understand, sexual sin will destroy the capability unless the healing of God comes in and the work that's necessary to help a human being recover. Am I making my point? I want you to go out here thinking, I'm trying to give you as much evidence as I can that sexual sin is really, really a big deal. And God's just trying to protect us. He's trying to see that we would grow and, and have all the amazing benefit of, of marriage and relationship and all these things. And sexual sin is an unbelievable distortion of the, of the sacredness and the wholesomeness of reproduction. God said, I'm going to give you this amazing ability to reproduce in my image. I mean, what could be better than that? Thank you, God. He said, look, it, you're not only going to be able to do this, but you're going to have fun doing it. He said, "Men of that. And we have this, and so guess what? We're reproducing the image of God. Who's angry about that? Satan, the enemy, the devil, right? Evil. So what does evil want to do about something that is a gift from God? Destroy it, kill it, steal it away. So what better way than to distort in you the very image of sexuality? So now it's not a sacred, wholesome, wonderful experience it's now something that's self-centered, it's focused, it's, it's hard, it, it's a struggle. And now, you know, even though you may certainly bring about children, the process and all that takes place is a real challenge now. Because that's exactly what the enemy wants to do, is attack. We have been given this creative ability. Guess what Satan can't do? Satan cannot reproduce himself in that way. Satan will never have children. He can only get us to fall in line with him. But other than that, there is no capability. And you know what? Satan wants to be like God. And only God is being reproduced. So if you're wondering, Satan is really angry with you because you're reproducing the image of God. And Satan's going, how dare you? If I can't do it, you're not going to do it. And if you're going to do it, I'm going to really mess it up. I mean, don't you realize that your body, that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which belongs to Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. 
Don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her? What's it going to cost us? What's it cost you? Death. The wages of sin, Romans 6.23 tells us, death. You know what's going to cost you? Broken relationships, lack of self-esteem, guilt, shame, sleeplessness, unnecessary pain, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financial and social costs, wasted life, health, reputation, emotional atrophy, uh, loss of life, uh, loss of job, uh, tr uh, loss of trust, impacting others, loneliness, insecurity, lowering of standards, broken hearts, stolen hearts, uh, opening the door to other sin, robbing you of time, energy, wounding life missions and purpose of Christ, and you stealing away current and future marital satisfaction, intimacy, and unity. Let's do it. That's the short list. I talked to someone. Now, this is going to blow you away. We were talking 20 years down the road of interaction with pornography and videos and all kinds of ugly stuff. So we actually, I did something with him. I said, let's figure out how much time have you spent doing this in 20 years. Here's what we came up with. This man had spent at to date, when I talked with him, four years worth of his life engaging in sexual sin, which meant of the 20 years that he'd been living, he lost four of them to the behavior of sin directly, and who knows how much else which means out of 20 years, he's only really lived 16. I mean, the sexual sin just grabs you literally by the collar, drags you in, and before you know it, years disappear. Hours disappear, weeks and months. So the Word of God is saying, man, Listen to me. This is just not a good thing. And we talk to people. We need to just think about how much we care about people and say, this is not a good thing. You're robbing yourself of life. Now, I want to remind you there's hope. We've got to go back to verse 11. And such were some of you. But you're washed, you're sanctified, and you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Are you guilty of sexual sin? Let me tell you something. If you are, the Word of God says if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Listen, there's a way out. There is a way out. God doesn't say, well, let me bring all this up and then leave you hanging. Let me bring all this up and leave you discouraged. Let me bring all this up and say, well, have a good life. Sorry. God says, there's a way. And the way, the way is to confess your sin and then let God forgive you. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, he says, he will remove our transgressions from us. The word of God says, right, and, and to the Corinthian church, they needed to hear this. The Corinthian church really needed to hear this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Can you say amen to that? Amen. I don't know about you, but I know the Corinthian church needed to hear it. I think Abundant Life Church needs to hear it. God says, 
there is hope. But you just can't sit and do nothing. It requires a response by you. So, really simple. You and I need to just be alert to what's going on around us and raise the bar. And don't be embarrassed by that. Because we've already shown how dangerous this kind of thing is. That's why we pray. That's why we're out there ministering. That's why we're bringing Jesus. Because the answer is Jesus. But if there's anything of this in you, then let's, let's start now today. Let's, let's lay it down. Let's experience the beginning of what God can do. And let's let him just take it out. And you know what? I believe in what God can do. There's, this is, can be a new day. Gentlemen, this can be a new day for you. Whatever you have done, God can heal. God can deliver you. And to the women, whatever you have done, whatever has been going on in your head, God can heal. God can deliver. God can give you a new day. Do you see of that, church? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how important it is that we believe in the truth of your word. God, I just want to, would you forgive us for tearing pages out of your word? Would you forgive the church for giving in to a consensus of morality? Would you forgive our society for what it continues to do and what it seems like we are even doing more? God, protect our kids. Protect our children. Protect our youth. Protect each generation. God, you set this up so that we could live well. The benefit of living the right way is to have a good life, a healthy life, especially where it counts in our head, in our heart, in our soul. Thank you for listening. Tune in each week and be greatly inspired and moved to deeper revelation. For service times and other resources, go to our website at alfc.us or download our app.